0: Now, as the world has been hit by the COVID-19 pandemic, the South African government has been advocating for vaccinations and the vaccine rollout that was set to be carried over three phases, where phase one included um, and prioritized health workers, phase two prioritized essential workers, persons in congregated settings, persons over the age of 60, persons over the age of 18 with comorbidities, and phase three dealt with everyone else who falls outside of these predetermined zones and is over the age of of 18. As I mentioned earlier on the show, today we are looking at how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected those who are immunocompromised and how getting a vaccine would work for them. And to help us carry this conversation, it is an absolute pleasure at this time to be joined by Vitz, Professor of Vaccinology, Professor Shabir Mighty Shabir, thank you so much for joining us here on The COVID Report and uh, welcome to the show.
1: All right, good evening. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for carrying this conversation with us. Now, immunocompromised patients, patients with a weak immune system, leaving their bodies vulnerable to infections. Can you please talk us through how it can be divided into primary or secondary disorders based on the relevant uh, genetic disorders at play or diseases that can occur later in life and how this puts these patients at the risk that they are since the main reason to vaccinate is to get the system immune system up and running to a point where enough antibodies are made to fight off any disease-causing microorganisms?
1: So, as you correctly pointed out, uh, when we talk of immunocompromised uh, individuals, it's really a bag of individuals, and that's what we refer to as primary immunodeficiency, where there's a genetic element as to why someone is immunocompromised, but that is extremely, extremely rare. So, probably 0.001% of South Africa's population would have primary immunodeficiency is extremely uncommon. But the greater focus is around what we call secondary immunodeficiency. So there's an underlying condition which sort of uh, knocks your immune system and consequently you become more susceptible to ending up getting infections and developing severe disease after you've been infected, be it by viruses or be it by bacteria, as an example. Now, the reasons for secondary immunodeficiencies. again, it's multifold. And the one that is probably most familiar to all of us is HIV, and certainly people that are infected with HIV that are not on antiretrovirals, when they're what they refer to as CD4 cells, when that drops quite a bit, they become very susceptible to getting infection, which an healthy individual is also infected by, but in a healthy individual, the immune system is better equipped to sort of prevent that infection from progressing to causing harm to the body. So as an immunocompromised individual, that is what is basically being affected, the ability of the immune system to fight off the infection at an early stage and to then prevent it from developing to severe disease. Now, the other reasons for someone being immunocompromised, unfortunately, as you become older, especially about the age of 65, 70, your immune system starts taking a knock as well, and it starts regressing, in fact. So that's one of the reasons why people above the age of 70, they're very susceptible to developing pneumonia and actually dying from pneumonia, independent of COVID. And COVID just accentuates that. So people that are elderly, they, their immune system gradually deteriorates over the rest of their lives. And then we've got other common conditions, such as people with cancer, people with renal failure, and unfortunately even people that are obese and people that are diabetic their immune system itself is also compromised. So like I said, a whole bag of different conditions can, that can lead your immune system to being compromised. And what we've learned from COVID is that when your immune system is compromised, and especially if it's been compromised because of underlying conditions, such as diabetes or such as old age or other cancer, renal failure as an example, in those instances, those individuals are much more likely to end up with severe COVID after they've been infected with the virus. So everyone is equally susceptible to being infected to the virus, depending on your behavior, depending on whether you're going to indoor spaces, depending whether, whether you're wearing a face mask. Those are the factors which will influence whether you become infected to the virus or not. But once everything else is equal, people are equally susceptible to being infected to the virus, doesn't being that someone that is immunocompromised is less able to contain the effects of the virus, the damage the virus is doing to the organs, than someone that is able to get rid of the virus when it's still localized only in the upper airways. So what else have we learned about immunocompromised individuals and COVID? Uh, fortunately, one of the big concerns in South Africa around about May, March, April last year was because of a high percentage of our population being people living with HIV, close on to 14 to 15 percent of the population. And amongst women of childbearing age, as an example, up to one out of every three women are living with HIV. One of our biggest concerns was that that was going to lead to a disastrous situation in South Africa if people with underlying HIV were susceptible to developing severe COVID. Fortunately, the large majority of South Africans that are living with HIV are on antiretroviral treatment. And that certainly assists the body in terms of reconstituting the immune system. So the experience from South Africa, which was a welcome surprise, is that HIV, particularly in individuals that were under antiretroviral treatment, didn't emerge to be a major risk factor for developing severe COVID. If someone is hospitalized for COVID, then people with HIV, they are hospitalized for, for COVID. Unfortunately, they have a poor outcome after being hospitalized. But at the population level, people living with HIV and especially if they're on antiretrovirals are no more susceptible to being hospitalized and dying from COVID compared with HIV uninfected individuals. And that's all good news for South Africa.
0: So, with all of this in mind, Professor, could you talk us through the polarizing nature of the conversation around the the two main vaccines that are at our disposal to use, Johnson & Johnson and the Pfizer vaccines? Studies show that uh, the efficacy of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is 57% in South Africa, as opposed to the 95% for Pfizer. So, in your medical expertise, which vaccine would be the most ideal for immunocompromised patients? And since studies show that... the the efficacy of these two vaccines is reduced based on race, age and ethnic groups. Does this also decrease when considering immunocompromised patients who fall into any of those categories that I just described?
1: So the first important message is that the best vaccine to get is the one vaccine that you can get soon into your arm. That is the best vaccine to get. If you spoil for choice of different vaccines, yes, different vaccines do differ when it comes to how well they're especially how well they work in protecting against infection and mild COVID-19. When it comes to protecting against severe disease, almost all of the vaccines that we've got, including a single dose of the J&J vaccine, they reduce your the risk of developing severe COVID, of dying from COVID by more than 90%, and the same thing for the Pfizer vaccine. But their vaccines then do differ in terms of how well they protect against infection and mild COVID. So as an example, if you compare the J&J and a Pfizer vaccine against infection and mild COVID, especially due to the variant that's currently circulating in South Africa. The Pfizer vaccine effectiveness against the Delta variant for infection in mild COVID is in a region of probably about 50 to 60 percent, or maybe up to 70 percent, for the J&J vaccine will be lower, probably around about 50 to forty percent. But that is against mild COVID. If you're more concerned, and our focus about vaccination, our immediate focus about vaccination, globally, including in South Africa, it's not the prevention of infection, but rather the prevention or reducing the risk of individuals ending up in hospital and dying of COVID. So when it comes to hospitalization, in South Africa, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine among healthcare workers suggested that it reduced the risk of hospitalization by 60% and reduced the risk of dying of COVID by 92%. The Pfizer vaccine, based on data from all countries for the Delta variant, the risk reduction for hospitalization is in the region of 90 percent so it is higher than the J&J vaccine but again to emphasize what we're trying to do as a priority is to prevent people from dying and then to prevent hospitalization and then uh, right now in the immediate future we're good to have prevent infections and mild disease so vaccines do differ in terms of how they work against mild disease but they're much more similar they converge on how well they work when it comes to protecting against severe disease and death especially so for immunocompromised individuals, where does that leave us? Now, even with the Pfizer vaccine, based on studies that have been done elsewhere, they've shown that in certain categories of immunocompromised individuals, as an example, people that, are, that have cancer and are on chemotherapy, or people that have got renal failure, or people that are, have got autoimmune diseases and are on immunosuppressive drugs, In those individuals, it appears that they require, rather than having needing two doses of vaccine, they actually require a third dose of vaccine. So there are compromised individuals, especially specific categories, a very compelling reason why they should be provided with a third dose of vaccine. Single dose of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine probably will be inadequate in these individuals that have severe underlying immunosuppressive conditions, they would probably need to get at least two doses of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, if not three doses similar to what uh, now is being recommended in many high-income countries for the Pfizer vaccine. But like I said, in South Africa, the biggest percentage of the immunocompromised population are people living with HIV, and that is a very different dimension in that what we've shown in our studies in South Africa for the AstraZeneca vaccine is that people living with HIV, particularly if they're an antiretroviral, their immune responses to the vaccine is almost identical compared to the immune responses of the vaccine in people without HIV. So if you've got HIV, you probably still need to just get a standard dosing schedule, whereas if you've got other conditions leading to immunosuppression, especially cancer, you know, failure of the immune diseases and immunosuppressive therapy, uh, then you're probably requiring the that, that dose of vaccine.
0: Just to latch on to what you've just been speaking about in regards to patients with um, HIV, how do we go about vaccinating those uh, particular individuals? Do you consider the viral load of the patient, since increased viral load results in further immune suppression? And how would you know that the specific viral load threshold will work for everyone?
1: Uh, sure, so that's really a good question. And the short answer is that uh, when we start rolling out the vaccine, it's impossible uh, to be doing viral loads on everyone with HIV. And the majority of people that have been compliant with the antiretroviral therapy, uh, their viral loads would be usually suppressed, and not uh, of a major factor in terms of how well they would respond to the vaccine. So we don't advocate for people to have the viral loads measured before vaccination, uh, assuming that if they are on antiretroviral, they will be virologically suppressed, especially if they've been on antiretroviral for at least two to three months. Uh, so in those instances, they should be vaccinated just like anyone else should be vaccinated. If people are not on antiretrovirals, uh, it's important for them to start antiretrovirals immediately. Uh, but at the same time, you wouldn't necessarily want to delay the vaccination in those individuals. You would still need to start off with the vaccination while they get the antiretrovirals. And then you might, in those individuals, you might you obviously still need to get a second dose of vaccine, And it might well be that they need an additional dose of the vaccine sometime in the future or when they're better immune reconstituted with antiretrovirals. So we don't uh, don't recommend treating people with HIV any differently to people without HIV when it comes to the manner in which we're holding out vaccines to that particular population.
0: What of those who are currently going through chemotherapy to treat the various ailments um, that they may have that may require uh, the use of chemotherapy to treat? How do we go about vaccinating those patients since chemotherapy is also a suppressant of the immune system?
1: Correct. So that is a very much more difficult situation. And especially if people are in the initial phase of chemotherapy, when they're really using high doses of chemotherapy and that's almost completely knocks out uh, the immune system, and many of those individuals are people that could be taking additional precautions against being infected, not just with COVID-19, but against all other types of viruses and bacteria. So in those individuals that are in what you call intensive chemotherapy, usually the early stages, when it's knocking out much of the immune system, uh, it's very likely that they're not going to mount a good immune response. And you probably, if you do start vaccinating them, then... They probably would need to repeat the cycle of vaccination after they got gone into a less intensive schedule of chemotherapy. But these are issues that they probably should discuss with their attending physicians, the oncologists, would be able to advise them just how bad the immune system is at the point in time, and then do a risk-benefit analysis. There isn't too much risk, but there's more if they're really going to benefit from being vaccinated at that point in time. Compared with rather delaying the vaccination to the time when the immune system is relatively recovered, they are on a less intensive chemotherapy regimen, and provided that they at the same time still taking adequate measures to protect themselves against being infected by germs, including COVID-19.
0: And finally, Professor, in the interest of quelling further misinformation and the continuing wave of speculation and a lack of surety when it comes to this vaccine and how getting this vaccine is an essential part of us putting this pandemic behind us, since there is not enough research covering the effects of the COVID-19 vaccine being used in immunocompromised patients, would you say that people who are immunosuppressed should not get vaccinated since there is less information about it? or would you encourage them to further inform themselves about the vaccine and go out there and get it?
1: People that are immunocompromised are the ones that are most in need of COVID-19 vaccines, not the least in need, the most in need, because they are the ones that are most likely to end up in hospital, and they are the ones that are most likely to die of COVID-19. From a risk-benefit ratio, it's much more beneficial, and it's in the greater interest of someone that's immunocompromised to be vaccinated, and a healthy 35-year-old, as an example. So no question that people that are immunocompromised, if they've got any reason why they're immunocompromised, they need to be vaccinated as a matter of urgency. They should have been prioritized from the time we started to roll out our vaccine program. And like I said, unfortunately, in the event that they still at an advanced stage of being immunocompromised, in a few months from now, might need to get additional booster doses of vaccine. Vaccines are safe. Vaccines are here to save lives the chances of dying or having a fatal complication from a vaccine. And important to emphasize that these vaccines that we're using in South Africa, they're not what we call life vaccines. So there's a category of vaccines, as an example, when we vaccinate against measles and German measles, uh, those are what we call life attenuated vaccines. And in people that are immunocompromised, those sort of vaccines, uh, because they're immunocompromised, can cause a person to become sick. The vaccines that we've got in South Africa are not life attenuated vaccines. These are matching the RNA vaccines and the non-replicating vector-based vaccines. And these vaccines can't cause COVID. And the safety profile of the vaccines, yes, all vaccines do have side effects. But the chances of having a fatal side effect from the vaccine, our best estimate at the moment, is about one to two per million of the population. The number of people that have died of COVID in South Africa as of the 1st of May until now, is 4,000 per million of the population. If you are immunocompromised, that figure probably sitting at 20,000 per million of the immunocompromised people that have died of COVID already, compared to a risk of one in a million of dying because of a complication of the vaccine. So very little question about where the balance stands in terms of the risk-benefit profile.
0: All right, that was uh, Professor Shabir Madi, Professor of Vaccinology at Wits University, joining us here on the COVID Report to help us discuss the advent of immunocompromised patients and this vaccine and how essential it is for them, in particular, to go out to their nearest vaccination centre and get themselves inoculated to protect themselves against COVID-19. Professor, thank you so much for taking time out of your evening to join us here on the show, as well as the valuable insight that you have given us on this topic and uh, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Sure, and a shout out to the students get vaccinated.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: This podcast was brought to you by
0: Voice of vids By Voice of Viz. To hear more of our shows, tune in to 88.1.
1: 88.1 or streams via Stream. www.vfm.co.za.